Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Michael Zalavari, and today we are gearing up for the first major endurance race of the year, the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona. And joining me today, I have two very, very happy Americans. We've got Austin Zetsman and Chris Washer. Good, uh, good evening, lads. Hello. Welcome to Second season seven. Attempt for the second episode of season seven <laughs> yes we've had to do it again because we just can't stay on topic for even a moment but guys daytona it's coming up soon it's like a week and a bit away and the first major endurance race of the year it's it's oh boy howdy it's coming no we don't have to wait that long because this weekend is the roar uh prototype challenge on saturday and the qualifying race for the Rolex 24 on sunday so it's not that long until we see on-track action at Daytona. And just for a bit of context, the Raw is like the preseason test slash qualifying. Like, it's it's a pretty weird event to, to have a week out from the season. Yep, so week week before Rolex, actual Rolex 24 Saturday happens, they'll have a qualifying session to set up the grid for the qualifying race on Sunday. And then on Sunday, they'll have, I believe it's an hour, 45-minute race. Um... And basically, the results of that race will set up the grid for the actual 24-hour race the following weekend. Cool. So, that, that'll that be coming up soon. We'll probably have this podcast, at least one part, uh, put up by then. Because there is so much happening uh, this weekend with, you know, 61 cars in the entry list. And, you know, uh, experiences to share from both Austin and Chris at the track at Daytona. And even Kiwi, who's here and around. We might get him on as well to share his experience. Uh, that we, We're going to do this in probably two parts. I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's going to be palatable to have a three and a half hour podcast for everyone to listen to in one go. So two parts is, is going to be the way we go today. And of course, we wouldn't be able to do this without uh, help from our good friends at the theracinglion.app, your motorsport calendar. They'll be, keep you all abreast of when all the sessions are for the Raw and for the Rolex 24 and all the support categories, prototype challenge, Michelin pilot challenge, all those sort of things. Because they've also got a four-hour race the next weekend as well. And they're uh, jumping on board to support us again this year. So very happy to have them on board. And you should get on board with them as well. Guys... See, uh, season 2022 of IMSA, there's been a few off-season changes that we've got to go through before we dive into what this season's going to be. Firstly, DPI has been uh, squished down to two manufacturers after Mazda finished up their program last year. They finished it up in, in quite stunning fashion with a win at Petit Le Mans, a very well-fought win at Petit Le Mans. Guys, Mazda's program in DPI... How do you how do you make how does that make you feel uh, knowing that they went out on a high? It, I'm I'm glad I went out on a high because obviously when they first started, at least from my knowledge in 2014, they were the speed source with the with the diesel engine. Obviously, we all know how that turned out, and the years and years of bad luck and fires and just miscalculations, and it was nice to see them win. Uh, obviously, that the six hours at the Glen. And that kind of snowballed there to more success. And as soon as they are finally starting to do really good consistently, uh, they just pulled the plug in the program. And obviously now that Mazda is just going to focus on their grassroots effort, like their Mazda MX-5 and um, other club racing events in the States, putting more money towards that. So they're not pulling out entirely out of racing. They're just not doing any pro racing. So we'll still see Mazda, just not in the big leagues. 
And that program went through a litany of changes as well. As you mentioned, the, the speed source diesel engine and then into uh, the sort of petrol-powered prototype and then into the DPI series. Uh, Cookie, it looked like for a while success wasn't ever going to come for them. They just seemed, seemed to keep making mistakes from good positions until finally the barrier was broken. Yeah, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, that's what's going to happen when you have balanced performance and that's the class that you're in. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that was um the le the least reliable uh, uh prototype we've had in a long time competing in IMSA so um it f it like for it to like still be racing around without not having won things and basically constantly be broken usually by that time like you're done with the program so um i think you know just for them sticking around for however long that they have been able to do it was great and uh i mean this program had its uh you know genesis and starting uh seasons in grand am and you know in the what is it the gx class and stuff yeah. where they were just basically running uh gt um you know like sky active engine prototype cars uh for a while there too so um yeah i mean a typical cap to that entire uh, program as it has sunset but uh um you know now we really have a lot of competition um in dpi this year Yes, yeah, so, last year I should say. Yeah, so uh, of course with uh, LMDH on the horizon, it's been Mazda's uh, made the decision that they're not going to do LMDH. So this is a nice uh, sort of exit point for them. Uh, another uh, massive change we've had over the off season is the closure of the GT Lamar class, running the GTE machines that we've been familiar with in the World Endurance Championship and European Le Mans series and all those sort of feeder series in the ACO ladder. Uh, with uh, Porsche uh, finishing their program there. BMW finishing their program there and Corvette now being sort of in no man's land and jumping over the WEC. GT Lamont is no more, but we have a big change in that class where it's now GTD Pro. So GT3 machines with full pro lineups. Chris, your thoughts. Do you think this is a good change for the category? Uh, I think I do because obviously we've seen last year we only had three full-time cars running. Um, and now we see at Daytona, we have more than 10, uh, at least for Daytona. Uh, that's more than we had last year. And the fact that GT3s, um, you know, they're more accessible, they're cheaper, and they're going to be more enticing for manufacturers and teams to join in when they can just bring a GT3 over and put the pro drivers in instead of having to get a completely different uh, specification of car uh, to go across the Atlantic. So I think this is going to be a good, a good change, especially because GTE is obviously phasing out. And so IMSA is getting ahead of the curve. Um, and especially with, I mean, look at the teams we got in GTE Pro, not to try to get ahead of ourselves here, but like KCMG and Corvette and uh, BMW, uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Um, I, it's definitely a good step up. I think it's a good move to, towards the future of GT Racing. And, and Cookie, uh, 13 cars in GTD Pro to go along with 22 cars in GTD uh, as we know, knew it before. That is a, a scarily huge lineup. That would rival most SRO grids, especially in the States. Yeah, I mean, it's not unexpected, uh, especially because we've had so long of uh, the SRO series or category itself for GT3 for, you know, man, pushing over, you know, I don't know. We're, Definitely over a decade, closing on two. So, um, you know, the stability of the GT category specifically from an international standpoint is there. Um, you know, we 
we snubbed uh, the Curventic 24 Hours of Dubai, but the, I mean, they're also rocking the same thing. The, these BMWs that'll be competing here for the Pro Series basically got, you know, uh, tested uh, just, uh, you know, a few days ago, basically. So, you know, we're, we're going to see this class kind of being another um, avenue to um, more professional outlets or GT teams being able to showcase their worth in North America or taking the opportunities to... Um, premiere their new equipment um at a at a huge marquee event so um yeah there's just a lot of different advantages that Timsa can kind of you know use gt gtd pro i guess is how we're going to say it um in the future here but um yeah i mean the 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 entries that we see here uh, are reflective of kind of what we're going to be seeing hopefully in the future whether that's going to be in the prototype category where we have you know bmw going to step up there um or there's other gtd am entries starting to see the pro um side of it like faf and um and even proton so i i do like where we're kind of heading um you know it's that same argument too that i I wish we had some other thing that was between gt gt or what are the gt3 i guess but uh this this is the best that we got and honestly the uh um the interest that we have right now is is you know is really good so yeah um there definitely could have been a nightmare nightmare scenario where we had gtd and pro and not had enough entries or had the same amount, which I would have not liked that, but this is definitely what we where we wanted. Absolutely. Uh, the entry, the car count to be, I should say. Absolutely. With 13 entries in GTD Pro, 22 entries in GTD, that's 35 GT cars. Then you tack onto that 9 LMP3s, 10 LMP2s, and 7 DPIs, and that's a 61 car grid for the Rolex 24. 61! That is huge. That is the biggest Rolex grid that we've seen in five years and it would have been the biggest since 2014 when the alms and grand am merged and that year we had 67 cars jeez pete that is a huge amount of entries and after a few quiet years in terms of chaos where we've had like two or three cautions over a 24-hour event notwithstanding weather of the past few years which has thrown a massive spanner in the works guys 61 cars at daytona does that give you the tingles, or is that something a little worrying? Uh, I I don't know, because obviously um, the last time we had this many cars on circuit, uh, we'll have to unfortunately go back to 2014, where the Memo Gidley accident. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that concerns me, but I, I am hoping for the best. I don't think it's going to be... A major issue because once again we see like over over that many amount of cars at Dubai every single year and we don't have as much as those incidents and you know, I think it's a much bigger speed difference maybe GT3s and touring cars with the we'll have to do the math on that and see if that's correct but I th- I think we'll be fine I think um obviously with the amount of cars especially in LMP3 LMP2 GT Daytona that the AMs might uh, make some make make some dumb moves, but it's not an endurance prototype race until any of that happens now, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, see, so you you talk about the twenty four hours of Dubai, and uh, that's definitely a different sort of speed. It's all GT three cars as its maximum. It's also a bit more of a a, a club event, you know, a very am focused, not something that really has the prestige and the the sort of uh, intensity of the Daytona 24 cookie your thoughts it's is there is it too many cars to fit around this uh, this this track 
No. No? Next question. Next question. Well, how how much space is, is too little space? You know, it's five and, a, five and a half kilometers of circuit, 61 cars. That's less than 100 meters each car. Uh, 100, 100 cars. That's that's right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm I I don't I don't have a lot of. I mean, like from a safety standpoint, yes, I guess. Like there can only be so many cars that you can fit on the track, and for it to be safe. But um, it's Daytona. I mean, if this were Mid Ohio or I don't know, um, you know, that's a whole different subject anyway. But still, like the the track width here is not that bad. The infield is a little bit narrow in in certain parts, but. Like it's it's there's not there's not a lot of places where there's a gotcha moment kind of with the track. Um, if there are, I'll say disagreements between uh, certain cars at certain spots in the track, like they kind of get rectified without taking the the rest of the field out or being in compromised position. And honestly, the uh, I, I think the Mamo Gidley accident, like I mean, there was obviously more potential for pretend, you know, there to yeah. be a slow GT car at some point, but the it was just a very freak accident from the standpoint of where the sun was and all this other stuff. So yeah, I'm not really concerned about car counts in terms of it being from a safety standpoint. Um, I'm just, I'm just glad it's over 50 from a health standpoint. What about, Um, what about from a chaos standpoint? You know, there's, you know, 22 GTD cars. That's a lot of amateur drivers, uh, nine additional LMP3 cars. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing. It's LMP3. It's not, I don't really have a problem with the, with the M, gt drivers it would be the lmp3 drivers because that's going to be that's going to be a whole boat load of fun for them so but we'll see i i mean i I think the pace difference between gtd pro and lmp3 should be enough where that they shouldn't really cross paths too much but from what we've seen from michel uh from michelin um uh road to le mans yeah no the yeah yeah the road to le mans yeah cup yeah that they definitely can intermingle a bit so that's that's where I'm saying, like, if, if you're worried about chaos, it would probably be from the nine LMP3 entries, in my opinion. And we have a, quite a bit of LMP2 entries as well here, so... And we'll, yeah. we'll break all them down uh, in a moment. But before we get into that, let's just talk a little bit about the track and the event. It is, of course, the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. It's one of the big three endurance races in the calendar and you might argue that it's a bit less prestigious than Sebring because of the series that's been involved with but in any case it's it's America's premier uh, 24-hour event and you guys have had some first-hand experience of being at Daytona for the 24 hours guys uh, Cookie describe the atmosphere of that hour before the start where you're rolling into the like you're on the grid effectively and seeing all the cars and intermingling with everyone in that instance how does that sort of feel um it's it's interesting because it's um like it, it, I feel like a few people probably don't know what I'm talking about, but like a winter sun kind of thing where it's like really bright, but it's like not, it's like not very, not a lot of heat kind of thing. Like that's, I think that's like all the times that I've ever showed up with Daytona, especially the pre-race, like just being there, it just, it's, it's got this weird kind of light to it. Like just the lighting of everything is slightly different just because of, of like the time of year it is normally. Um, and yeah, every time I usually go, it's like, you know, you're usually in a windbreak or you're in a jacket, something like that. And, um, so I think like when just asking me that question, like, that's the first thing I think about is just kind of like, just the temperature, just how the environment is, I guess, beforehand. But, um, it's, it's definitely exciting just because you're, 
even though it's not packed, like you're still inside this huge stadium complex. Like yeah. you, you, you know, you still know that something's about to happen, and obviously with the PA going on and stuff like that. So it's it's very exciting. And honestly, the last few years, when they've allowed people to go on the infield and look um, look at all the cars and stuff like that, and right on the uh, start finish banking straight and all that and the trioval, so. Um, it's it really has given a good ambiance, and you can see how much how many people are there because it's a lot of times it's really hard to tell how many people are actually at Daytona watching this race in the infield if you're actually there. So outside of it just being really crowded, so I don't know. That's usually what I my experience is at the start. I don't know about Chris though. Yeah, Chris, uh, what about yourself? Uh, you talk about the the atmosphere of the infield, and as the race transitions into night, how uh, does it feel like a, a big sort of community atmosphere in that instance or uh, yeah just tell us about your experiences there it, it was just astonishing you really underestimate how big the place really is until you get there um obviously me being there the past two days at this point it was it was in 2020 when i went before the whole world got sprung into madness but mm-hmm. especially at the start you go onto the grid and just go on. You can only go on the banking of the trioval, but you you can literally stand on the finish line, where twenty four and a half hours later, someone's gonna someone's life is gonna be changed forever by a Rolex watch, and there's obviously when they tell you to get off the grid, there's there's a way you can get into the actual stands by the opening in the wall. They just climb up there, and it, it's, the stands are just so huge, especially with the the new renovation project they did. What? would be like almost 10 years ago now or five seven years ago yeah. daytona rising project yeah. and there's it's it's like a regular sports stadium like they have they have the food like concession stands like built in they have you know tvs around they got like areas with couches and they got place it's a huge sports stadium feel and i i've been there once for a 24-hour race and i still haven't explored all of it it's so big and the infield it's you, there's so many places you can you can pretty much go pretty much anywhere around the track except for the bus stop. That's something I wish would be changed some you know sometime. But that, but it's just especially as it goes into night and the fireworks happen and and what many people at least I don't know I, I think Cookie was camping out, but I actually stayed at the track overnight. So I was there for the early morning and very late hours and just walking around Daytona at like three o'clock in the morning. It's so eerie because everything around you is quiet. There's no other people. There's no other sign that, you know, other than campers, there's no other sign that there's other people there, but yet there's a, there's a legit car race happening. But it just feels weird because that's, that's the time you're supposed to be sleeping. It's, it's, it's such a weird feeling. But hopefully I can hopefully be uh, when LMDH or when LMH happens, I can go there again. And it's, it's, it's a proper experience I want to do again. Yeah, it must be super eerie being, well, not super eerie, but like that sort of stadium feeling, that bowl of sound of all of the cars just pounding around the speedway. Uh, that must be something, something very different because uh, like I've been at racetracks uh, like Bathurst, which, you know, you can walk the entire track but every single piece is kind of its own piece it's very hard to sort of see connected areas or adelaide the 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 clipsal 500 the the street circuit which again is a similar sort of thing you have that sort of mini amphitheater but it's all very sort of secluded off by the trees and all the the separate sections to be able to 
walk around and see this whole track around you. That must be super duper 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 cool. Uh, and I am eternally jealous of the two of you and of Kiwi Chris who made the trip over there in 2020 as well. That would have been quite an astonishing experience. And I can't wait to get over there myself one day. Yes, Kiwi's just, saying in, Kiwi's just saying in the chat, it's super loud thanks to the echoing. So I, I suspect it just mm-hmm. kind of echoes off every surface, wouldn't it? And, and the thing is, many people say, because I was the victim of this, because everyone thinks Florida equals warm. Now, for the daytime, that's true. But when it gets, when the sun hits below that horizon, you better have a jacket on. Yeah, well, I, like, it's the middle of winter over there, isn't it? It is, but people usually associate because I was the dumb northerner that thought, "Oh yeah, it's only gonna be like forty degrees." I've handled worse than that, and I still wore like a jeans and t-shirt. But the thing is, I Cookie can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Florida, it, it, it's the warm, humid air. It's like the wet air. So when it gets like forty degrees, it feels much lower than that. So forty degrees for people who yeah. don't speak American is like five degrees Celsius. Yeah. So it it just feels much more colder. It's, it's mostly so the, if you don't it's, properly it's plan chill. for that. It's not going to be a fun time. So so bring your coats if you're going to Daytona, which is as we said, only a week away. And let's jump into the entry list now because we we know the track. We know about well. Let's talk quick, very quickly about the history of this event. It's seen some incredible moments. Porsche have taken the most wins here, of course. There's like in the last five years, I think the most striking moment for me was the GT Le Mans win with the Corvettes, like finishing one, two, separated by 34 thousandths of a second or something mental like that. It's it's really one of the, the jewels in the endurance racing calendar. And uh, that, that shouldn't be like I rag on I rag on Daytona a little bit because, you know, IMSA, et cetera, et cetera. And I have my own feelings about how IMSA does their sports car racing. But it is also like the first event that I like the first endurance race that I ever properly watched, like in full back in 2000 and nine 2008 when the brumos porsche won and like that completely sold me on brumos and porsche in in the states and endurance racing truth be told so uh it's it's something that's uh got a lot of history in itself as well it's been running since like 1963 i want to say does that sound right uh, yeah continental they don't know three hour yeah 200 i think well it was yeah. The, yeah the three hour um for a while but like you know the the story of uh, Dan Gurney parking his car at the top of the banking and turning down to win the race because his car was broken and you know the the likes of the Porsche 917 and the Ferrari 330p winning races here it's it's you know steeped in endurance racing history and it's it's a it's it's a big deal yeah I mean it uh it used to just be for like the the, the major endurance race for the start of the season so you see shakedowns uh for you know, the lead up, I mean, you know, for the longest time, 12 hours of Sebring would kind of be the race or the event that people would try to focus on to get ready for Le Mans. Um, but then as you started getting into kind of like group five um, and and in that kind of era in the late 60s, 70s, you know, Daytona started becoming more of an actual prominent place to bring your new car and to like have it shake down there, see if you can win it there. It wasn't as demanding as Sebring, but it was still 24 hours. It was still a place to log laps. So um you know daytona has had kind of a i don't want to say it hasn't had its own identity but it has had certain 
like a, a place in sports in the sports car calendar year, um, which has shifted a little bit every now and then um, throughout the decades. But um, yeah, it's in a good spot now, um, and it's 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 been different some at times from the regular sports car endurance calendar. But um, yeah, the 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 last iteration since twenty fourteen, it's been really exciting. A lot of cars and a lot of good uh, good races, a lot of good on track excitement. So. And you got to think about placement on the calendar because it's in the end of January where it's before any major testings going on for North American series. So you have, you know, at least in the past, a bunch of NASCAR guys, especially the IndyCar guys. And in the past, we even saw Lance Stroll um, compete with Chip Ganassi in their Daytona prototype. And it's, it's just a perfect place on the calendar where you just have this mix of different motorsports disciplines or drivers from different motorsports disciplines racing each other on the same track. And you don't really get that anywhere else. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the all-star race for, for the Americas, isn't it? You got IndyCar drivers, NASCAR drivers, sports car drivers, international sports car drivers as well. It is really just the big melting pot of, of talent. And it's cool that it kind of gets to, it gets its own little niche at the start of the year to, to really put that to the fore. Now let's talk about, the cars and the entries. So we'll, what we'll do is we'll split it through prototypes and GTs. So that gives us, you know, 25 prototypes and 35 GTs around about. Uh, and we'll have a break in the middle and we'll split it up so that way you can listen to it at your own leisure. But this is the prototype entry list. We'll start from the very, very top, the, the, the seven cars in the DPI class. DPI, of course, being the factory modified LMP2 machines with their own bespoke engines and bodywork in them. And there's, there's quite a few interesting things going on in DPI. We've got five Cadillacs and two Acuras. Let's start with the two Cadillac racing uh, Cadillacs. I, I believe they're being run by uh, the team that oh, I should yeah. definitely know off the top of my head. Chip, Chip Ganassi. Chip Ganassi, yeah. They're just called Cadillac Racing on the entry list. Of course, they're Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, of course, running the 01 and the 02. The 01 has Ringer van der Zander, Sebastian Vorday, Scott Dixon, and Alex Pillow. And then the 02, the star car, has Earl Bamber, Alex Lynn, Marcus Ericsson, and Kevin Magnussen. Guys, where do we want to start with Back. those two? Um, can I just preface before we start? I'm going to just say stacked in every single entry just so that we don't have this weird confusion of Oh, I said it like halfway through. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're throwing it we're, now. We're throwing back. We're throwing back to the absolute beginning when everything was stacked because everything is stacked. Like, oh, yeah, that, that is true. There is no well, weak, yeah, weak, weak link in either of those teams. I mean, I, I'm upset that she didn't get that it was Ship Canasi just because they're O one and O two. I know, like, I know. I'm thing. sorry, Cookie. I know. I'm sorry. Their thing. That's their thing, man. I'm like sorry. all the way in the Grand M days when they were running BMW Rileys. Yeah, that was a throwback. How can I atone for my mistake, Cookie? Well, you could just tell us which uh, which entry do you think is going to perform better than the other uh, at this uh, next event. Well, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I, I have no strong opinion because in one car, you've got all of the DPI regulars, you know, Ring of Anderson, Sebastian Bourdais, Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow. You know, those guys have been racing in the States 
for a long time and so they know the cars they know the series they uh, know the team and then the O2 though is full of star power you know Le Mans overall winner Earl Bamber Alex Lynn who's raced everything from DPI to GT Le Mans uh, Marcus Ericsson Kevin Magnussen former Formula 1 drivers you know it's just huge Chris what, what, what are your thoughts out of those two cars who do you reckon is the better one yeah that I mean that's tough I mean the O1 um you have the prototype experience. Renger Van der Zand won in 2019-2020 with Wayne Taylor. Sebastian Bourdais had won with Chip Ganassi in GT Le Mans. Um, also won overall in 2014 with Action Express. Um, Scott Dixon. I mean, how can you compete with that? The Iceman, six-time IndyCar champion, 51 IndyCar wins. Third all-time on the American Open Wheel Racing wins list. And, um, and as one another, Rolex twenty four, as well, uh, overall I believe. And then you have Alex Blow, which is you know current IndyCar champion. Then you have the O two with Earl Bamber, two time Le Mans winner with Porsche, and also won the Rolex. Or no, he did not win the Rolex. He's a twenty nineteen GT Le Mans champion. Hmm. And Marcus Erickson, he won two IndyCar races last year. Um, also, he's also with Chip Ganassi, hence the link. Um, Alex Lynn, he won the he won the uh, 2017 12 Hours of Sebring with Wayne Taylor, and he's he's also going to race WEC for uh, United in LMP2. Oh yeah, of course. And Kevin Magnuson, he was with Chip Ganassi last year for IMSA, and he he won one race with Chip, and that was um, Belle Isle. So it. I, for for FWEC purposes, don't forget to make your FWEC picks. Uh, I think the, I, I'm I'm guess I'm gonna think the O2. Ooh, yeah, I'm, it, I'm 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 going spicy. Even with Scott Dixon in the other car and Ringo van der Zander in the other car, who won together in 2020. Well, I'm thinking because Kevin Magnussen has experience in the Cadillac, Alex Lynn also experience with the Cadillac, and Marcus Ericsson, I think he'll be he'll he'll be decent. And then you have Earl Bamber, which remember he did drive Petit last year for Chip Ganassi. That's true. Uh, so I think you, yeah, I can on 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 paper the O one you can compare the stat sheet. It, it's definitely a stronger car, but I don't know. I, I have a feeling the O two might do it. How many times has the the Chip Ganassi star car actually won? Like it's it, it's something that Ganassi does uh, where they've had like. The O one with which is their regulars and their O two, which is just like the All Star car. But how many times has the All Star car actually gone on to take a win? I'm looking through the entry, like the the overall winners, and I can see uh, it was in the mix in 2009. I remember that much, but that was won by the Brumos team. Uh, 2013, Montoya, Pruitt, Rojas, and Kimball. Is that was that a star car? Uh Charlie. Kimball was Indy, was racing an IndyCar that year. Um, I do remember one year, I believe it was, uh, they had the two NASCAR stars, Jamie McMurray and Kyle Larson, which Kyle Larson, you know, 2021 NASCAR champion. Um, 2015. So they have an overall win with Chip. 2015, you were saying, Cookie? Uh, yeah, 2015 they won, I think in yep. 2008 or seven or six, something like that with Montoya. I think they won too. It's won a couple times, it, not yeah. a lot, but it's it's won. So, do you reckon 
well, well, we'll save that conversation for the end, but O1 and O2 definitely a pair to watch. The other Cadillacs are the JDC Miller Motorsports machine, the number five, uh, running with the Mustang sampling uh, livery, uh, and uh, as well as Wheelan Engineering Racing, which I believe is still Action Express running that uh, that machine, the number yep. 31. Uh, and Ally Cadillac. And now that's an interesting story. We'll touch on that uh, as well. Uh, let's go through the drive lineups. For the JDC Miller, number five, Tristan Vautier, Richard Westbrook, Locke Duval, and Ben Keating uh, taking on a few hours in that car. Uh, the number 31 has Pippo Durrani, Tristan Nunez, and Mike Conway. That's a star-packed lineup. The only uh, lineup of three cars, uh, three drivers rather, in the car. And then the 48, Mike Rockefeller, Kamui Kobayashi, Jimmy Johnson, and Jose Maria Lopez. That is a crazy looking team. Of those three cars, who do you reckon is going to mount the biggest challenge cookie? 48. 48, the Ally Cadillac. That's a star packed car. I mean, and I think it's serviced by Action Express too. So, I mean, as long the only, you know, blemish would be Jimmy and how he can do. I mean, as long as he pulls a Jeff Gordon. You know, uh, he's got a shot at at, at winning it because I, just the amount of talent that all the other three drivers that are going to be in that seat represent is just so ridiculous. And it's, uh, well, well, go well, ahead, people Chris. forgot, even me included, that car finished second last year. Yeah. So it, it's not entirely out of range. Um, and the fact you got Jose Maria Lopez, who I believe never raced a DPI before, but obviously raced, you know, Toyota, so he's not exactly half bad. And but let's take a look at the 31. They're multiple time Rolex 24 winners that team 2010, 2014, 2018. They also won the IMSA championship last year. And don't don't forget, they're I believe they're replacing Felipe Nazar with uh, Tristan Nunez. In the car, as, and, as they're lined up. And Nunez was a refugee of the Master program, right? Yep. So, again, someone with proven DPI quality. Pipo Durrani, we all remember his in- incredible stint at the end of the 2016 race to win that one. Uh, so, uh, 31, they, they've had a bit of a, a weird uh, endurance racing season over the past two seasons they've uh, that driver lineup of Conway Nunez and Durrani or Conway, uh, Conway Nasser and Durrani in previous seasons looks like it should just beat everything but the, the pieces haven't all come together so what do we expect from Will in engineering uh, are we waiting on the final piece of the puzzle to finally turn that team into something that's going to dominate I I don't know because if you look at every single entry in the DPI field you could certainly argue a case on why they should win. Yeah. There's star power in every single car. There's WEC drivers, IMSA champions, you know, seven-time Indy, uh, IndyCar champions and NASCAR champions, and uh, and even even with some would may say that Ben Keating might be the weakest guy on on this on this grid for DPIs, but that's not exactly. I mean, he's still pretty dang good. I mean, he's he's a. He, I think he won the WEC race last year. Yeah. Um, I think he's he also beat Jimmy Johnson. Duty. He's also doing. I say he duty. beats Jimmy Johnson. Really? That's okay. Yeah. Cookie, explain, elaborate, explain your point. 
I don't know because I feel like Ben's got has had way more time um seat time uh and he just he has more confidence in a prototype uh, car or just any car at this point than Jimmy does. I don't know. Just just Jimmy's like whole thing about racing prototypes and open wheels. I mean, it's not like I don't think he can't do it, but I just feel like he doesn't like he's not comfortable yet. And, okay. I mean, that's 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 why I'm giving the nod. Okay, so now so... I, I do raise you a counterpoint because yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy John, Ben Keating is doing something that Jimmy Johnson isn't doing. That's pulling double duty. He's also racing the number fifty two LMP two, so he's got two cars to try to race. Jimmy Johnson. Oh, I. I don't disagree. I'm just I, I'm just saying from like a uh, controversial opinion <laughs> standpoint. I'm just I'm stating that I feel like if you gave if you got an empty track and gave him two Oreco sevens, uh, Ben Keating is going to somehow beat Jimmy Johnson. I feel like uh, that is that I'm, is I'm probably wrong, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna disc jockey it and say it. That is a huge statement. Like I'll, I'll fully agree with you in that Jimmy Johnson is the weakest link in the 48, uh, and, and we're not disparaging any of his nascar achievements is just the the thought or was not the thought the it's a different skill set racing uh a sports car a prototype in traffic compared to racing a nascar on an oval with without that uh multi-class aspect ben keating is clearly the worst driver in this class and i like i mean that with absolutely no disrespect to him but there is no way that he as a bronze rated driver will be anywhere near the likes of anyone else in the class who are full-time professionals like let's be clear on that that doesn't mean that car doesn't have a chance remember ed brown has a daytona 24 hours win at the seat of the uh number or what was it? Two? It, it was the it was the um, uh, tequila patron ESM machine, and yeah, it was like he did two laps under safety car, but that still counts. They've changed the rules now, but with the way that uh, IMSA does their caution procedures and the fact that we have sixty one cars, it wouldn't surprise me to see that car get back on the lead lap late in the race. So it's it's not, definitely not an anchor for the number five car. And like Vautier, Westbrook, Duval, like they're huge drivers in prototypes as well. We'll leave the Cadillacs now. Look at the Acuras. There's two Acuras in the field. Number 10, Wayne Taylor Racing, Konica Minolta, ARX05. Ricky Taylor, Felipe Albuquerque, Alexander Rossi, and Will Stevens in that machine. And then you've got the Maya Shank Racing with Curb, Agajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajajaj
And so I maybe put my money on that car, but then you look at the other car, former LMP1, Audi driver, Oliver Jarvis, Tom Blomquist, who won a bunch of races with Joda in LMP2 last season, Helio Castroneves, who's won basically everything in America, Simon Paginot, who's won basically everything in America. It's like splitting hairs at this point. Uh, Chris, what, what's your read? I really do like the 60 car, paid scheme included. Um, if it's anything like the IndyCar side of their team, they're going to make massive strides. Um, Simon Pagano, don't forget, uh, former Peugeot driver for their LMP1 program. Wow, that is um, a throwback and a half. 2010 American Le Mans Series champion, 2019 Indy 500 winner. So it's not like he doesn't have experience in prototypes. Um, Elio Castaneves, I think it'll be remiss if we don't even if we forget mentioning about his four-time Indy 500 um, accomplishment. Well, I think he's. Only the third person, the third or fourth person to ever do it. Uh, he's also a 2008 Petit Le Mans winner in LMP2 for Team Penske. Wow, that's um, again going back into the archives. That would have been at the Porsche, the the Spider. Yep, and then he was also last year's Rolex 24 winner. If you remember that. The the thing about that though, Chris, is that in the number 10 car, you have the three other drivers of that lineup sure. in Ricky Taylor, Felipe Albuquerque, and Alex Rossi. Uh, Cookie, your thoughts? Is the, is the number 10 or the number 60 the stronger car? I'll say number 10. Number 10? Why? Yep. Uh, you got drivers coming back from last year, and, uh, you know, they've, they've mixed well. Um, number 10, um, that stable knows how to win this race a bunch of times. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I like the 60 car lineup, but, uh, you know, there's some names in there that I haven't seen in a while or at least, you know, not necessarily in an Acura. And, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of weird hodgepodge of very talented drivers that are like in odd parts of their careers. So I don't know. I'm going to say number 10 for this year, for a bit of but they're both are very good. Absolutely. For a bit of context as well, of the last five years, Wayne Taylor Racing has won four of them, including the last three in a row. So they certainly know how to win this race. And I think that's a a big point that we may be skipping over a little too much. To round out the discussion on DPI though, who wins, Cadillac or Acura? Which is the stronger stronger chassis, the stronger car? Mm. Cadillac, they have strength in numbers too. Cadillac? They haven't actually fixed the the uh, Cadillac is OP at Daytona problem since they brought the new LMP2 DPI category in 2017, so it's Cadillac. Even though Wayne Taylor run, won last year in an Acura? Yep. Yeah. The Cadillac is, is by far and away the best chassis, and if anybody, if the Acuras win it, it's only because Cadillac let them. Okay. With that in mind, <laughs> with that in mind, who wins? Uh, uh, um, uh, Chip Ganassi. O one or O two? Uh, he, uh, Chip. Chip Ganassi wins either <laughs> way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna we are all Chip on this place today. Uh, um, I'll go. I'll go with the star car. I'll go O two. O two. Chris, what? Do you, what about you? I want double dip and picks here, so I think I'm gonna go with something different. I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna go with the forty-eight. I think the forty-eight's gonna do it. I think because obviously star power wins at Daytona. We had Fernando Alonso win. We had Jeff Gordon win. I think it's time for a Jimmy Johnson win. Yeah, that's what we need. That's what we need. Okay, I'm going to go against the grain, and I'm going to say the number 10. I'm going to go, I reckon Wayne Taylor is a proven winner here, and that car is full of proven winners, and so that's what I'm going to go with. 
I'd surprise, l- surprise. I'd love to see the number two win as well. I just think Earl Bamber should just win everything. He should be given everything. Well, yeah, that's because he runs a Porsche team. Yeah, down exactly. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I thought I thought no one knew that logic. So, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, Phil, but this is America. We don't do handouts. <laughs> the Philippe Albuquerque. Oh, my it's like the gosh. Below New Mexico. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on to the LMP2 class, which, by the way, has seen a, a great uptick in entries for this event. Ten cars, uh, all of them Orica 07, so we won't see Rick Ware trying to shoehorn a Riley into the mix this year. Uh, a few big interstate, uh, interstate, international teams as well. A few teams coming over from uh, Europe that we'd be familiar with uh, in the WEC. Um, let's go through the grid first. We've got uh, Town Motorsports, PL1 Math- uh, Mathiasen Motorsports, ERA Motorsports, uh, United Autosports, uh, and Dragon Speed as your sort of American-based teams. And then you've also got High Class Racing from Denmark, um, uh, Racing Team Netherlands, of course, from Netherlands, and G-Drive Racing by APR, which is Algarve Pro, uh, making the trip over from Portugal. What are your thoughts, quickly, on the international flavor of the LMP2 class coming into this event? Were we expecting to see, uh, like, half the grid come over from Europe? I like it. And the fact that High Class is doing the full IMSA season, Racing Team Netherlands doing the full Michelin Endurance Cup season, um, obviously that's because of WEC coming a little bit oversubscribed. They kind of had a writing on the wall that's going to be a bit harder to enter that championship. So they came over to IMSA where they're guaranteed a spot. Uh, and, and, and I love it. it it's going to show, what I'm curious to see is the difference between the international and the American teams. Because obviously the American teams have some good talent in there. I mean, I mean the number 11 on its own is pretty good. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Obviously, I think LMP2 last year wasn't the most competitive. I think, the, I think they won by a lap or so. Um, so hopefully with the bigger grid numbers, we'll see a more competitive race in LMP2. Absolutely. Uh, Cookie, uh, your thoughts on uh, the international flavor and how the Americans are going to stack up. Do you think the international teams are going to be better or the uh, the American-based teams? Uh, I would say international teams, and I think that would be – like I, I was just thinking when Chris was, was talking too about this that usually – like in the past, we've always we've always kind of had this issue where you get the international flavor, but you don't really get their best from that standpoint. And um, outside of you know, like the the really overall category, you know, winners or like ones that are like, hey, we're doing this because this is a better championship. But we're ultimately going to go for Lamar. Like a lot of these entries are definitely going to try um, or at least like have their roots in Europe. But a lot of this is specifically so that they've got a full time ride, and a lot of this is too just. The amount of laps that they log, the amount of screen time they get, ad revenue, that kind of thing. Like, not to say that IMSA is is has completely turned a corner, and now they're you know you could basically start driving, you know, racing an IMSA and start really seeing your brand being pushed where you need it to. But um, I think this does also speak for IMSA itself, uh, being able to garner a lot of these uh, entries. Um, but the thing to note is that I think that especially in LMP2. When we're going to have these international entries, they're not going to be like these fly-by-night, uh, you know, efforts. They're gonna they're gonna be these these full-time, you know, one hundred and ten percent, you know, 
bringing as much as you possibly can to win the race kind of deal, which I think is absolutely needed and necessary. But, um, you know, we're, I, I think we should rightly see whether or not we deserve to or need to or not uh, see maybe um, the standard or the bar being set to where it should be when it comes to American prototype racing, especially for the American teams. Cause I just, I don't know. There's the Europe, uh, the European, and even the Asian scene in terms of the prototype uh, racing is just so much more advanced. It's so much more mature um, that it's going to be interesting to see what now when we actually have this kind of talent coming to the U.S. to race. Like I, I, I definitely see it being a, you know, European team versus European team. Something like where we yeah. see Neil Maceration in the Lost Series or WC. Like I think that's what we're going to see this year in IMSA, which is good, but um, it'll hopefully send a message to get the American team to step up. Well, I, I think part of the reason for that is that the LMP2 regulations in IMSA state that you must have a bronze driver and I think also a silver driver, which is something that you don't necessarily see over in Europe and Asia. You do have the flexibility to put in a silver driver and then a pair of professionals. Um, so that might be a reason why the, the LMP2 uh impact in IMSA is a bit less. To be honest, I think DPI splitting from LMP2 was what has meant the LMP2 category in IMSA has been such a uh, an undersubscribed class. But if we continue to see this sort of uptake in uh, events like this and, you know, teams like uh, Racing Team Netherlands committing to the MEC and high class committing to the full season, I think it will start to attract a lot more eyes, which will mean more entries, which will mean more fun. And uh, that's what so. that's what this class is going to be. You know, it's got a good mix of uh, out-and-out amateurs uh, as well as the full professionals and let's let's take a peek as i made mention all of them are in the orica 07 which is not a surprise at all but we'll, we'll go through each entry uh uh as we do um first one off the rank tower motorsports in the uh number eight car and that's got uh bronze driver john ferrano and picked up with a huge amount of talent in that car rui andrada louis delatraz and ferdinand von hatzberg that is by the way, one of the 24 Hours of Le Mans winners in mm-hmm. LMP2 last year in Ferdinand Hatzberg. That's a pretty decent driver lineup straight off the rank. I mean, Ferrano obviously as the bronze, but Andrada is a silver and then the pair of professionals. That's, that's a scary looking car straight away. And for Ferrano, easily to deduce himself as the rich guy of the team, but I uh, did some research into him. He's a 2018 European Le Mans Series LMP3 champion. But RLRM Sport. Yep. So it's, he's not exactly a, a bad driver if he can win a championship in the European Le Mans series, no matter what class you're in. Um, Louis Delatraz and Rui Andrade, both racing in the WEC this year. So you got a relatively decent bronze driver, in my opinion. Then three guys who are either European Le Mans series champions or winners or WEC or Le Mans winners. It's a very stacked lineup. Absolutely, and uh, that's going to be one that's going to be adorned with the Tower Events, of course, with uh, um, Ferrano being Ferrano's business. Uh, Delatraz, remind me if I'm wrong, does he have LMP1 experience? Did he drive the the Ginetta, or was that Lucas Giotto? Uh, Giotto. I believe that's to, Lucas Giotto. He, um, Delatraz only had LMP2 experience last year at WRT, but he was stalwart in F2 for a few years. Yeah. So, that's, from open wheel background. That's right. And he also won the European Le Mans series anyway with WRT as well. So, you know, 
you know, experience and pace out of the wazoo for the pair of them. Uh, pretty exciting uh, pair of drivers to go in that car. Um, how much do you reckon a pair of XWRT drivers are going to cost? <laughs> if you're John Ferrano and trying to put together a team, how much do you reckon that he's he's uh, forking up for those two drivers? <laughs> Probably a lot. Probably a lot. <laughs> You'd say so. Uh, next off the rank is the pair of PR1 Matthias and Motorsport cars. One of them will be adorned, of course, in the wins livery. That'll be the number 52. Uh, the other one will have TAFS on the machine. Uh, the number 11 will feature uh, Josh Pearson, Stephen Thomas, Jonathan Bomarito, and Harry Tinknell, whereas the number 52 has Scott Hufficker, Ben Keating, Mikkel Jensen, and Nicolai Lapierre. First question, guys. Which one of those two is going to be faster and why? Chris, go. This is, this is tough because with the number um, 52, you have last year's LMP2 champions. They're the champions last year. Um, Scott Huffaker, he was a young guy. He raced supports. He raced his car last year, so he has experience. Nicolas Lapierre, obviously, you know, everybody knows who he, is, who, who he was. Alpine LMH driver. Um, yep. Mikkel Jensen, he was with this team last year also. 2018 uh, ELMS LMP3 champion. Uh, he'll, he's also going to race uh, Asian Le Mans Series this year with uh, CD Sport in LMP3. And then you have Ben Keating, who needs no introduction. But D11 is an interesting one because if you know Win Autosport from last year, uh, Win Autosport is basically just merging with this 11 team. So, the 11 car is basically Win Autosport, but with the Pier 1 Mathiasen name. Okay. Because Jonathan Bomarito, former Mazda driver, um, he achieved Rolex 24 class wins back in the Grand Am GT days. Uh, Josh Pearson, remember, he's going to be the the, the, the 16-year-old that's going to be racing at Le Mans with United Autosports. Have you ever seen that floating around? Yes, indeed. We did make mention of that in our uh, entry preview for season 2022. So that's a a big pickup there as well. Interesting to see how it goes. Continue. Steven Thompson, he's the dude who formed Win Autosport. He's the team owner, basically. And then you have uh, Harry Ticknell. (laughs) Oh, this guy's good. Yeah, absolutely. Tinknell, of course, has been driving... Well, I mean, last year he was with Mazda in this race. He's been driving uh, all sorts of different machinery. And to see him in an LMP2 car is an interesting sort of development. Cookie, look, looking at the two, of course, the 52 has a lot of fan favorites, uh, fan favorite support with Ben Keating behind the wheel. But the 11 looks like a, a bit of a development car. Do you reckon they'll be in the mix for a good result? Yeah, I mean, I think both of them will be... Um, just from the amount of talent that they've got in behind the wheels. So, I mean, that can make up for a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, potential issues um, and just teething issues for some of the drivers. Um, but no, I, I think both of them will have a, a good shot for um, for being there um, at the end of it. It's, it's a 24-hour race, so who knows? And I was kind of thinking the same thing for some of our DPI calls too. So um, just some of the picks, you know, might... I feel like I it's been it usually is a while um to convince me uh to like pick the fastest car or like probably on paper just because it's some you know attrition always seems to happen um and I feel like with LMP2 it's going to be like that too but uh 
No, I could definitely see a scenario where both PR1 and Matheson cars are up there um, in contention. Uh, but, man, you know, it, out of any year, this is definitely going to be the toughest uh, yeah. for competition for them. Absolutely. Uh, 52, to me, though, looks scary. I mean, not only do you have yeah. one of the best bronzes in sports car racing in the world at the moment with Keating, even though he is doing double duty, but Mikkel Jensen uh, about to step into a Peugeot LMH car and Nicolas Lapierre, who for a while was the unbeatable force in LMP2. He won like every single year he raced in LMP2 at Le Mans until 2020, where he finished uh, a bit further down the order. So, you know, Lapierre's got a serious clout behind him as well. And that car... We did see run into uh, problems last year, but surely if they run trouble-free, that should be on the podium. 52. I'll go 52 too. Yeah. Uh, next car on the rank is ERA Motorsports, the crayon car from last year, the, the race-winning car from last year, it must be said. Uh, Paul Lipschutin, Ryan DL, Dwight Merriman, and Kyle Tilly behind the wheel. This was a bit of a surprise last year. No one really expected them to be as much of a player as they ended up being, but... You know, you don't just win Daytona, do you? That's a, a pretty incredible drive from them and uh, a great representation for the Americans. Yeah, and I'm proud to say that um, I did actually meet one of these drivers in real life. Um, Kyle Tilly, uh, he was at the Road America NASCAR race last year. He was racing oh, yeah. the cup car for Live Fast. He was literally just in the concession stand during one of the supports. I was like, hey, you race, you race. You race LMS next week at that Monza? I was like, yeah. I was like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I love those um, random little interactions. I actually, on that note, I ran into um, Richie Stanaway at the Bend on the Run, which is like a, a service station that's literally at the Bend. Like, I was just there getting a coffee after marshalling, and he walked up behind me to get a coffee. I'm like, hey, man, you're Richie Stanaway. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Can I have a photo? Okay. <laughs> That was the extent of my interaction with Richie Stanaway. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of funny seeing the drivers like that. Um, you got to say though, I it was a surprise for them to to win last year, considering the the driver lineup and the talent of the other cars. Um, however, they've got to be going into this year feeling pretty confident that they can back up after uh, what has been a good season in uh, the IMSA series for them. Oh, yeah, Paul Lutzer, who won the race last year with them. Um, Ryan DL, he was 2012 Le Mans LMP2 winner, 2010 Rolex 24 overall winner, and for uh, just the cure that obscure racing that you had, uh, Ryan DL is also the six hours of Bogota winner. What? <laughs> we can't... Yeah, the classic. The classic six hours of Bogota. <laughs> oh, brilliant. We, lo- we love it, Chris. We love it. Never change. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. Let's go to the next the next uh, car. Sorry, yeah, it, they, the, yeah the, uh, you were asking me which driver I thought would 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 use the best uh, uh, paint the best crayon color painting yeah. image out of that. Yeah, um, I would have to say Paul Chatan. I feel like he's uh, a, a master he's French, of the crayon. So he knows. Yeah, he he could definitely you know be very precise with his crayon coloring abilities so that's that's my vote the, the I, I, like i love it brilliant off-topic conversation uh the, the concern i have for this car unfortunately is the bronze driver dwight merriman uh not someone who we've seen be a major player uh at the front of bronze rated categories not someone who really sets the timing screen on a light uh to me that is going to be the 
the anchor for the team to overcome. And like, as we said, we've seen them do it before. They won last year. It's not impossible. Um, But can Lightning strike twice? twice? Well, how competitive was the last year's Asian Le Mans Series Olympic 2 Pro-Am Championship? It it was not. It was not. They were the only driver. That explains why Dwight Merriman was the last year's champion in that regard. So, yeah, the the reason being is they were the only entry. <laughs> still counts. I mean, it's still, yeah, like, it still counts. <laughs> they they won the championship. They didn't win the Le Mans invite because uh, there was not enough cars in the entry for them to do that. Uh, but it still counts. Uh, we'll move on to the next car, uh, the number 20 high-class racing machine. So this is the first of the international, really international teams uh, that we're going to touch on. Uh, this car will have... Dennis Anderson and Anders Fjordback as the two AMs, which is unsurprising considering it's a high-class car. And they will be joined by Nico Müller and Fabio Scherer uh, for the two pro spots. Uh, Nico Müller uh, as a DTM driver for Audi. Uh, that's been his main mm-hmm. squeeze with 10 wins and 32 podiums over his, what, what seven, eight-year career there. And Fabio Scherer, uh, driving for WRT, has come across the pond to join that one. Uh, and he was driving with United Autosports last year in LMP2, where they picked up uh, fifth place in the uh, the championship in the WEC. Uh, Chris, wh- what do you reckon? Uh, does does the, the high-class team have a proper shot? It's going to be a tough ask, I think, because... Um... Dennis Anderson, I presume, the rich AM guy who's funding the effort. Anders Fordback, he's been of high class, I think, even with the ELMS days. Yep. When they had, yep. what, Delara? Yeah. They, 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 they came second in the first two LMP217 races in the European Le Mans series at Silverstone and at Monza. And Fabio, Fa, Fabio uh, Scherer is a good pickup. He's. Uh, and also Nico Müller, he's going to be racing with the, the Vector Sport team in LMP2 this year. And, and also 2015 Nürburgring 24 winner. So two very strong drivers. Anders Fordback, I would I would say he he isn't too bad either. Uh, it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna, just gonna be all down to see uh, how Dennis Anderson does. Yeah, Fjordback's actually one of my favorite silver drivers because uh, he seems to have some sort of uh, clout where he doesn't want to get bullied by the pros. Um, and those two drives at the end of, uh, in 2017 where they came second in the first two races of the European Le Mans series, that kind of sold me on the idea of the team and especially Fjordback doing the lion's share of the work there. So I'm happy to see him making strides. Uh, Mueller and Scherer coming from DTM and uh, open wheelers into LMP2, respectively. Cookie, uh, how much does uh, a DTM sort of uh, platform translate into driving a prototype? Do you reckon? It used to have a lot of a uh, lot of relevance when it was the uh, Class One and before, but uh, since they went to GT3 last year, it's kind of lost a little bit of that. Um, the only thing I would say is that it just it, it's got some professional um, aspect to it. That there's some you know there are some. Uh, more privateer entries, but there is a professional standpoint and a professional aspect of that t- tournament or tournament that uh, series that um, you know you could take away from it. But uh, ultimately, um, you know, it, there's there's not going to be a lot unless you had previously driven Class One um, um, spec cars in DTM. So, um, but yeah, before that, DTM was you know was very relevant to like a LMP2, LMP3 car. Just the speeds were were that high. So absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I'd say very little at this point now, unless unless you're looking for like a professional team 
uh, aspect from uh, from experience. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Mueller was driving DCM since 2014, so he would have yes. had that Class 1 experience, certainly. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll chuck on to the team that Fabio Scher has just left to join High Class Racing. Uh, United Autosports running the 22, of course, uh, driving uh, with... Phil Hansen, James McGuire, Will Owen, and Guy Smith are very much united a flavor with two Brits and two Americans. Um, Phil Hansen, of course, being upgraded to gold uh, last season, has continued to impress as the gold driver. Guy Smith and Will Owen. Uh, uh, Guy Smith running as, I think, the silver in that car. Uh, and uh, Will Owen as well as another silver. So Guy Smith, sorry, is still gold rated uh and james mcguire is the bronze rated driver now remind me mcguire i i know that name from imsel i just don't remember where chris um enlighten me from my research he did asian the mall last year or at least before he's like the old old dude um so presumably the one funding the effort but other than that i don't think I can't remember where else he came. Maybe he did like pilot challenge or one of those, he's one of those guys who like been with IMSA for years, but I know for sure he did some uh, Asian Le Mans series races in the past. Okay. Um, that kind of uh, settles me a little bit, but the thing I'm tending to notice is uh, particularly with this car, it doesn't really have a lot of experience. Well, I mean the obvious exception being Guy Smith, but you know, you'd expect for a United Auto Sports car to see someone like, Job Van Oetert or Philippe Albuquerque or Alex Lynn, Paul DeResta, someone with that huge amount of experience that can really settle the, the young guys around him. It, it's kind of missing from this team at the moment. Uh, uh, Cookie, what, what's your read? Do you reckon the likes of their driver ladder in Phil Hansen and Will Owen will have the clout to be able to take it to the other LMP2 teams? Uh, I mean, I would say no, just off the immediate basis. Um, uh, yeah, it, it just feels a little bit more um, kind of trial-ish or just a little bit um, experimental. Um, not necessarily from like a, you know, we're going out to win this and we want to win it at any cost, but just um, there there seems to be some holes potentially in that lineup for, you know, pace or just something, something where it could, where it would mesh less with some of the other entries um, with, in LMP2. So I'll say it's a solid lineup uh, from what we're used to from seeing from MCL and P2 standards, but uh, from what we've seen out of the lineups this year for the rest of the entries here, it's going to be a tall order to try to best them on paper. Yeah, and to well, to, to combine, sorry, Chris, to combine uh, the likes of Guy Smith and James McGuire, who I've done a, a quick Google on, has found he's 61 years old, uh, with the, the youth of Phil Hansen and Will Owen, it, it might serve a bit of you know a bit of experience and youth in that respect but you're basically relying on the likes of Hansen to really take the lead on that team and while he was pretty good last year in in LMP2 he did have Felipe Albuquerque backing him up every single step of the way so it's going to be quite a challenge Chris what were you about to say well I was going to say something else I noticed that Phil, uh, Phil Hansen and Will Owen are going to be racing this uh, with United for WEC it's a great so even if the race doesn't turn out well it, it could still be a good opportunity to build that chemistry with each other since they will be sharing a car full time. Yep. And also, Guy Smith, don't forget, he's the one that won with Bentley at Lamont. That was literally 19 years ago, though. And 2011 uh, American Lamont Series LMP1 champion, although that's, you know, the competition there was like, eh, yeah. not very. But still, I still think because he, he has been racing, um, obviously not at the top level. But I still think he'll he'll be 
a pretty good shout. Uh, while I agree with you, I think if you compare someone like Guy Smith with, say, a Mikkel Jensen or James Allen or someone like that who's at a similar race, uh, like a similar rating, uh, I, I don't think Hanson, ha- uh, sorry, uh, Smith has the same level as those guys. But that's a, we'll get to that when we get to the end. We've still got at least four more cars to go, so we'll crack into Racing Team Netherlands, one of the fan favourites coming over from WEC, the the Jumbo Machine, uh, with Fritz van Erd, of course, the CEO of Jumbo Supermarkets in the Netherlands. Uh, he'll be driving with Dylan Murray as the silver driver, Rhinus van Kalmfelt, uh, who, which is the name I absolutely butchered. Um, uh, you would recognize him more as Renus VK. Renus VK, okay. Uh, so that's the Gold Raider driver. And then, of course, Guido Vandergaarder as the Platinum. This isn't quite the same lineup that we've seen in the past from uh, Racing Team Netherlands. No, normally, we'd see uh, someone like a Jan van Oetert in that team as well. Um, but it still seems to be a pretty solid lineup. Um, Dylan Murray is a name that I'm not immediately familiar with, a USA-based driver. Uh, any thoughts on that one, Chris? Uh, he raced last year in the main LMP3 class with Riley Motorsports. Uh, he also did Porsche Career Cup North America and Protect Challenge. So he'll have so he, this is a step up for him. Uh, not with the LMP3 cars, he's more used to in prototype racing. And then Renus VK, if you remember, he's he's an IndyCar driver for okay. Ed Carpenter Racing. I believe he won last year at one of the Indy Road Course races. Um, so he, and then he had a, I think he had an injury. I can't remember what the injury was, and he missed a race or two. But glad to see. Uh, hopefully he's all healed up 100. percent and although he did race after the injury last year, so I presume he is. And but I think he's a very, very good, solid lineup. And plus, he's Dutch. You can't go wrong with that with this team. Absolutely, it is the the Dutch, uh, um, the Dutch machine in that respect. I like I, I wasn't familiar with Renus VK because I'm not really a IndyCar watcher. But that's a, a pretty solid lineup. Then, if you've got an IndyCar, a recent IndyCar race winner, someone like Guido Vandergaarder, who was renowned for being his massive, uh, massive in the first stint. Uh, Dylan Murray, who has IMSA sort of experience, and then Fritz Van Nerd, who, like, despite all of the, the memes, is actually quite a respectable bronze driver, you know, did win the Pro-Am Championship in the WEC LMP2 last year. So, uh, that's certainly going to be one to watch. Cookie, you, you, Jumbo have made the jump, well, Racing Team have made the jump from the WEC to IMSA for these events. Do you think they've, uh... Do you think they've made the right decision there? And do you think they've got the, the star power to be able to challenge for these events? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, and, uh, you know, the these events will... Uh, I mean, for what we're seeing right now, it could change in terms of the events, some of the lineups and, and entries too for even when we get to Sebring or Watkins Glen after that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, that sure... Again, I, on paper, yes, that they, they don't have... Um, I, I think like the the quality assurances that you get from like a Ben Keating or something like that, like in every single thing. But honestly, Dylan Murray's decent. Um, Fritz Venert is is solid too. I mean, clearly he's he can put in some good stints. And then uh, Renus VK, yeah, I mean he's making a splash in IndyCar. Um, definitely, um, forcing Americans to not pronounce his name because he's just given up on that. Um, but yeah, I mean I I would say just from an IndyCar standpoint. Um, in the last year, his name has been talked about all the time. You know, if it's not Pelot, 
Um, he's kind of just a, like an up and coming potential talent. Um, we're not entirely sure if he's going to, you know, challenge for championships and whatnot in the future, but he's one of those drivers to look out for in the future um, in IndyCar. So it's a, it's a good get for them. And then, and, and again, you add to a Dane train, so can't go wrong there outside of Dylan being from the U S Dane train or Netter train. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Net, netter, uh, Netter train. There you go. One of them. Very smoothly done it's there. A, it's, it's a vehicle for success. Classic. And it's Euro- European. Stop. No. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, I am excited to see these guys in IMSA competition. I'm excited to see what they do. Um, it does pain me a little bit to see that they're not doing the WEC. I always love seeing that car at Le Mans and in everything else. Um, but this is a good substitute, and I think it's a good quality field to, for them to really stretch their legs. Um, three more cars left from the entry. Two from G-Drive by APR, Algarve Pro Racing. Uh, one of them, well, they got the 68 and the 69. In the 68, we've got Francois Hero, uh, Ed Jones, uh, which is racing under a UAE flag, which is a name I am not super familiar with, an IndyCar series driver. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, Oliver Rasmussen and Rene Rast, which is a very interesting uh, addition to that team. And then in the 69 car, you have the more... Classic uh, APR team, John Falb, James Allen, Lucas Giotto, and Chiman, uh, Timon van der Helm, um, which I probably butchered again because, again, I don't know how IJ works in Dutch. Uh, of the two cars, uh, who do you reckon is the stronger? Um, it's it, interesting to me to see Francois Hero and uh, Oliver Rasmussen in the same car together, bronze and silver, of course, and then... Uh, the silver driver, Timo van der Helm, he's going to be driving with the WEC team. Um, and he's got John Faub for company as the bronze in there. Uh, James Allen and Lucas Jotter, though, that, that's a, a good pair of professional drivers. Yeah, yeah Lucas Giotto, uh, he, he, he raced with Janetta, and I'll give you the exact race he raced for Janetta with. It was uh, 2019 Fuji. Yep. So that's what, that's what you're looking for earlier on. Um, a couple of these guys, they're pretty much straight from Formula 3. Um, Teichman Vanderhelm, 17-year-old kid. He raced FIA F3 last year. And if I, uh, if I did my correct research, he should be racing for AOC Bratislava this year. Yes. In WBC. Um, and then you have Oliver Rasmussen, who raced FIA F3 last year with HWA, which is not exactly the best team in that championship. And he's going to be racing for Jota. So some kids straight out of the feeder series by by resume racing the first prototype race yeah that would be absolutely right and then you know pair that with the super experience of Rene Rast and you know while James Allen hasn't been the most experienced the most exciting driver he put in a cracking pair of stints last year at Le Mans with Panis Racing to get a podium and then the year prior to that with Graf where he was terrorizing Felipe Albuquerque in the early parts of the race so James Allen's obviously got a lot of clout behind him as well this is actually a pretty solid pair of cars at the moment uh, Ed Jones, though. Ed Jones is someone that I'm not familiar with at all. Um, uh, racing... <laughs> Chris, obviously, if you've, you've got the, the if info. You're fan, no, if you're an IndyCar fan, you hate Ed Jones. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. You're walking into that one there, I'm like. I'm going to stay well back from that one, then. So I'm guessing everyone likes the 69, then, instead. 
Uh, yeah, uh, nice, by the way. Yeah, uh, nice. Those, and those, yes, yes. For those who don't know, um, Ed Jones, I believe, rammed into Pato Award at the season finale last year when Pato Award was contending for the championship and just basically gave Alex below the title. Oof. Okay, well, I'm going to leave that well enough alone. So we're all, we're all, we're all after the, we're all fans of the 69 then, said. Everyone forgets the 68 except for Rene Rast and we'll just <laughs> be fans of the 69. Chris, yes. uh, Chris saying in the chat, we all want a 69. Nice. Uh, <laughs> last car on the entry list for LMP2 is the number 81 Dragon Speed USA, of course, with the Stars and Stripes on the side. Uh, not running. It, w- it uh, won't be the Stars and Stripes. It won't be the Stars. It It'll won't be, be a yellow, uh, I believe, blue and red mixture. Okay. Fair enough, and that's and that's because we'd normally be used to seeing Heinrich Hedman and Juan Pablo Montoya in that mm-hmm. car, but they're not going to be here for Daytona. Uh, it's um, going. It to, will be for Sebring. It will be for Sebring. Uh, I know it's about Montoya and his son will be at Sebring. Um, and then, uh, but for Daytona, it'll be uh, Delvin DeFrancesco, Colin Herter, Alex Lu- Eric Lux, and Pato uh, Pato O'Ward, which is mm-hmm. our names are actually recognised from uh, from. Uh, IMSA, uh, from IndyCar, rather. Yep. Uh, nice Francesco will Thank race you. IndyCar with Andretti uh, this year. Uh, he raced DPI in 2018 at JDC Miller. Colton Herta, uh, also driving for Andretti. Uh, 2019 Rolex winner in GT Le Mans with the BMW when it, you know, when it got rained out. Um, Eric Lux, um, pres- uh, presumed to be the money man. Uh, Pat- Patrick Award, IndyCar driver for McLaren. Don't forget, he was actually the test driver for McLaren when F1 had their postseason test at Abu Dhabi. Um, and he's also a 2017 Rolex 24 and, I believe, IMSA champion in the Prototype Challenge class. He's someone with uh, like quite a few accolades behind him. Um, paired up in that driver. He's the gold in that driver. Eric Lux is the bronze. Um, and then you've got... Uh, uh, Colin Herter and Delvin DeFrancesco. Who is the silver out of those two? Is it Herter? Or is it DeFrancesco? Maybe I would presume DeFrancesco because this is, well, I believe this will be his first year in IndyCar full-time. Okay. So uh, still a little bit to go then. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the, the IMSA ladder or the IndyCar ladder. How do you rate those guys against the likes of some of the sports car names we've gone through? Colton Herrera and Patrick Award will will take the fight. They're good drivers. Uh, multiple time winners at IndyCar um, have either either one of them in the car, and they'll do pretty good. Devlin has at least some prototype experience, and then Eric Lux obviously been with Dragon Speed for a while. It might, I I have to say, it could be the one people one entry that people sleep on because it doesn't have like the, the sports car names in it, but it has some very talented IndyCar drivers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Both of them, like, there's two of them in there that essentially were competing against Polo last year, last year for the IndyCar title. So, I mean, they were the main rivals, if you want to say that. You know, outside of I guess Scott Dixon, and they're they're the quote unquote young guns, I'd say, of IndyCar. Like, um, you know, we'll you'll be hearing from them. I feel like for the next like five five years, easy, just them competing with against each other. So, definitely a great lineup. Um, from an IndyCar standpoint, just to see them all in sports cars like this. Yeah, they're definitely something that you could sleep on with that 81. With that in mind, lads, pick a winner. 
out of those 10 cars. Are, are you are you going to promote the 81? Make sure, that, give them a, a bit of a platform to get people to check them out? Or are you going to go for something more traditional, so to speak? Go, go Chris first. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have to go. It's very tough. I'm going to go with 81. 81? So you're going to promote the Dragon Speed car and see, see if they can get to the end or get to the win? Nice. Okay, you must you must have quite a bit of faith in those IndyCar drivers. Then, what about you, Cookie? Uh, 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 I'll do the fifty-two. Fifty-two. That's the the wins PL one Matheson car with uh, uh, Keating, Jensen, Huffaker, and Lapierre. Yep. I my my eye tends to the fifty-two as well, but I am pretty well intrigued by the number eight. You know, Ferrano is is the bronze, and that's always going to be an anchor. But the likes of Delatraz and Andrade and Habsburg, you know, uh, ELMS and WC champions in that car, that's a pretty attractive pick as well. So, um, oh, but also the sixty-nine is pretty nice. That, uh-huh. I'll pick that as my podium then. So my podium is going to be the 69, the 52, and the number 8. Tower Motorsport, uh, uh, G-Drive Racing, and uh, PL1 Matheson. Matheson, rather. So uh, that's what I reckon. Any, any complaints for that? No, I, nothing for me. It's probably all going to be wrong, but... I uh, mean, you uh, know. clearly, we are, we are at... Uh, <laughs> As people should well know by now, we are, if anything, a beacon of bad luck for these teams. Uh, so, if you are if you are one of these drivers and you are listening, well, sorry for putting the mocker on you, but what can you expect, really? Also, thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> any any final comments on LMP2? I've got to say, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see such a, a strong lineup of cars, teams, and drivers in a class that has been undersubscribed in IMSA for a little while. It's it's good to see that the healthy nature of this class come to the fruition after it was split off from the DPI machines. LMP3, <laughs> nine cars in LMP3. This is, of course, uh, the third rung on the ACO ladder in terms of prototypes. First thing that's going to be interesting to me is, will these cars be quicker than the GTD Pro machines? Um you know, we've seen that Daytona is traditionally very hard for the LMP3 cars to stay ahead of the GT machinery. Uh, the large amount of bronze-rated drivers and silver-rated drivers, of course, in LMP3, you're only allowed one platinum or well, one gold-rated driver, and you can't have any platinums at all. Um, are we going to see the LMP3 cars intermixed with the GTD field, Chris? Uh, yes. Yes, Cookie. Yeah. Yeah. We will. Chris, you reckon? I think, yeah, I, th- I think, G- I think GT Pro, GTD Pro, it's going to be a definite. I'm, I'll have to wait and see on GTD yet. Okay, we we will, we will check that out. The, the thing I'm concerned about is we don't want LMP3 to be like the old prototype challenge class where they were effectively, uh, you know, rolling chicanes and roadblocks and unfortunately, in some instances, battering rams. I think uh, the uh, uh, the Starworks car that took out Paul Miller Racing that one year is still lives on in my memory as one of the most uh, obnoxious uh, moments of PC madness that I've ever seen. It just sounds like you hate fun. I mean, I don't like <laughs> I don't like race the class leaders getting taken out in one of the fastest parts of the track, but I also do hate fun. Yeah, you're right. Um, 
this class is split uh, between two chassis. You know, normally we've seen, well, LMP3 as well as LMP2 has four chassis tenders. Um, but really you want to be in either the Ligier or the Duquesne. It's good to see more Duquesnes um, making the trip over. It's four Duquesnes versus five Ligiers. Traditionally, we've seen LMP3 uh, as a bit of an LMP Ligier, but it, it's good to see a bit of variety in the chassis options, Cookie. Uh, I mean, we'd hope, considering it's the new iteration for new regs for this. So, um, you know, everybody's supposed to be on a, a, as even of a starting line as possible. So, um, you know, technically we should be seeing it completely even, you know, spread across four manufacturers, which we won't talk about. Uh, we still have problems getting four manufacturers to show up with cars anyway. Um but no, I, it is very good to see Duquesne um, being able to put out car numbers that will sort of try to match Ligier, at least in the, um, the IMSA series. I know um, ELMS and uh, Roach Le Mans is a little bit different. I think there are quite a bit of Ligiers there. But um, yeah, I mean, anytime we can see more variety and more um, just, just chassis diversity in these classes, the better. And um, yeah, good to see that it's not just a, a Ligier fest uh, in LMP3 like it is with uh, Eureka and LMP2. Well, keep in mind as well that the, the, the Duquesne was late to be homologated. So for its first season, it ran with an additional weight penalty. Um, but it, it is good to see that Duquesne has kicked on and started producing more cars. And remember, they've inherited the... Well, they bought out the Norma LMP3, which was actually the faster car in a straight line. So I wonder if at Daytona, which is a lot of straights or a lot of high-speed area, that the Duquesne might be more uh, more effective, Chris. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, we and also the good thing is, is that we'll see. We'll kind of see the effects of that on Saturday. Yeah, we have a prototype challenge race on Saturday, so we'll eighteen cars in the grid for I believe a three hour race. So we'll get to see lap times. I'm not sure how different the prototype challenge and a big IMSA LMP3 is on lap times. If there's any differences between the two, um, I'm sure the LMP3 gets BOP'd a little bit um, in the main IMSA series. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see compared to times that, uh, during during World Week and see how that plays out. So it's actually very nice because the, the entry list is split even, like, perfectly between the Duquesnes and the Ligier. So we start off with four Duquesnes and finish with four Lige, uh, five Ligier. So let's crack into the entry list. Of the Duquesnes, we've got um, Muller Motorsports America, 47 Motorsports AWA, and a second car from Muller Motorsports America. Of course, these teams are going to be predominantly amateurs, so we're not going to necessarily know all the drivers or have all that information. We're just going to be trying to pick out interesting sort of tidbits for you. Uh, so the uh, the two cars from Rural Motorsports America, the 6 and the 26, the, the name that immediately jumps out to me there is Cameron Shields. Now, that's a name that I am familiar with because uh, he is a Australian driver um, who's made the trip over. Um, he's also driving with Charles Cruz, which is another driver that I recognize, and Hugo de Wilde. Yeah. Um, and um, he raced ELMS LMP3, Hugo de Wilde. Hugo de Wilde, uh, this is, yep. And the other guy, Nolan Seigel, uh, in the 26 car we're talking about, he rode the Indy driver. Uh, he raced a couple of pilot challenge races with Carbon last year with the Audi GT4. So he experienced in Daytona, and don't forget. And let's talk about the team itself. Mueller Motorsport is a German team. They usually race the NLS with the Caymans. Um, 
They won last year's Prototype Challenge Race at Road America. They're also the defending Rolex winners in LMP3. Oh, there you go. And also, I want to talk about uh, this dude, Moritz Kranz. Uh, I believe he's the guy who kind of br- brought the team over. He uh, won last year in the Road to Le Mans for Michelin Le Mans Cup. Because they, they also raced in the MLMC. Um, and then you have Joel Miller, who, who was with the Mazda prototype when they first started. Back when the, back in the Sky Active days. Oh, wow. There you go. Going deep into the archives for that one. I, I am excited to see how Shields uh, goes. He's been an open-wheel driver uh, in Australia who's made the jump over to uh, to Road to Indy. Um, and I, I'm actually pretty excited for that 26 car. It's got a few few properly good names in that machine. Uh, Cookie, what do you, what's your reading on these two cars? Uh, 6 or 26? Mm, I mean, yeah, both have got their, I don't know... Um... Just anchors and uh, and then definitely have their kind of question marks. Uh, I would kind of lead to the six. Okay. The next car in the entry list is from Forty Seven Motorsports, and this is an interesting car. I'm not I'm not familiar with Forty Seven Motorsports as a uh, team, but I am familiar with a few of these drivers. Mark Vam, uh, who I've definitely seen race at Le Mans. I feel. That's definitely a name I recognize, but I also recognize the name Austin McCusker, who raced in the LMP3 class with Inter Europol when they did the Australian, uh, the Australian leg of the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, and that was a, he was a really, really interesting driver. Very, still very young, I think, still in his very early twenties, uh, and seemed to have a wealth of experience beyond his years. And it's good to see McCusker getting another drive because I was worried that he'd fallen off the, the face of the earth a little bit um, with, you know, 2020 and everything. Uh, and so I'm going to keep keeping eyes on him to see if, uh, see how he does. Uh, I think if I did my research right, uh, McCusker raced with Nielsen Racing and LMP3 in LMS last year in 2021. I could be wrong on that. Um, Mark Gavam and Trenton Estep are also in this car, and um, they already raced together earlier this year with the Gulf 12 Hours in the beginning of the month. There we go. Um, so, and, and 47 Motorsports, they're, they're also going to be doing double duty by racing in the Prototype Challenge race uh, this Saturday. So, um, I'm not sure. I don't have the exact drivers for the Prototype Challenge race, so I don't know if the drivers themselves are pulling double duty, but the team itself is, and that's going to be invaluable experience. Uh, Mark Vam uh, has is quite an old driver though. He's uh, in his sixties, so uh, hope that he uh, well, they, like he's had quite clearly a very good career. Um, raced with the Rick Ware Racing Team uh, in the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, that was his last major drive, I think. Um, so uh, we'll be seeing him again. Uh, the thing that pains me most about this entry is the fact that. Despite being called 47 Motorsports, they are not running car number 47. <laughs> and car 47 isn't even on the entry list. It's free. Wait, what? What? <laughs> isn't that just so... Oh, wait, no. Settler is racing number 47. Okay, I guess that makes it okay. Um, <laughs> yes. This team is based out of the um, New Jersey Motorsports Park. Um, Dimsa doesn't visit it, but it's basically a road course in the Northeast, uh, United States. Um, and they just do streetcar fabrication, but they also do prep work for the track. So I think it's a team that's from that area. 
Brilliant. So, uh, so they they basically got their own test track then. Essentially, yeah. And I think they do like uh, like preparation to for like track days stuff like that. I think for uh, as well. So. Yeah. Um, in and around motorsport, but taking the plunge in a professional standpoint now in prototype racing. Brilliant. Uh, they've got competition, though, with the Canadian-flagged AWA team um, few, uh, with uh, the number 38, also in a Duquesne, with Matt Bell, Ore Fidani, Lars Kern, and Kuno Whitman. Now, those two names uh, a long-term IMSA fan, IMSA fan would be very familiar with. Uh, Kuno Whitman was, uh, in my memory, driving the, uh, the Dodge um, yep, 2014 GT Le Mans champion of the Dodge, to be exact. Absolutely right. And then Lars Kern, uh, that is the uh, Nürburgring uh, Nordschleife track record holder, right, Lars Kern? Uh, production, production car lap holder, and also, uh, as recently of June of last year, SUV track record holder. <laughs> oh, poor she crazy bastards. Uh, that's pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, Matt Bell and Ore Fidani, though, are names I'm not familiar with, as well as the team, AWA. Uh, any light on those guys? Yeah, so Ore Fidani, he's the, he's the rich guy. Um, one obscure fact about him, he's the 2020 Canadian Touring Car Championship GT champion. Take that information as you wish. Um, right. Matthew Bell, 2020 Prototype Challenge champion. He raced with Cool Racing in LMP3 last year uh, for ELMS. Uh, he won the first two races of the season and ran last year's Rolex with Wynn Autosport. He's also going to be racing with Nielsen and LMP2 and Asian Le Mans. And AWA, uh, if you watch Pilot Challenge, they field the McLaren GT4 in that championship. Okay, so that's uh, quite a bit of IMSA clout, uh, race preparation clout, and also a bit of international uh, flavor and experience as well. Looking at those those drivers then and their experience, you've got to say that they're, they're pretty pretty well placed for a victory if all things go well uh, aren't you cookie yeah and again like for lmp3 it's it, it, it's about how the um the pro driver can um kind of blend a lot of the uh the amateur talent around him especially when it comes to pace setup uh, car setup and pace um and just how comfortable all the all the drivers are together so um, a lot, I feel like, um, these classes are going to be down to, yeah, sure, how the amateurs drive just from a driving standpoint, um, but um, just also from a team mesh, um, you know, just to see how the pro, pro drivers will do. And Kuna Whitmer is a great, great uh, prototype driver. So, um, yeah, it should be really good. Okay, so they're the four Duquesnes on the entry list. Uh, just pick out one for me, Chris, um, that's going to be the fastest Duquesne out of the four. I think I'm going to go with the uh, number 13. The AWA car that we were just talking about? Fidani, Whitmer, Kern, and Bell? Yep. I'd be hard-pressed to go past that one as well. I, I mean, I'd be excited for the number 7 or the number 26, but I, I think the 13 is the all-round better car. Cookie, what's your read? Yeah, I mean, just just to not sound <laughs> like I'm copying you guys, but yeah, 13. I would go 13. So we're all pretty solidly sold on the 13. They do have five... Ligiers that they have to make their way past. Uh, two, oh, sorry, uh, Sean Creech Motorsport, Andretti Autosport, Performance Tech, Core Autosports, and Riley are going to be there for Daytona. Um, I recognize Andretti Autosport, of course, and also Performance Tech, Core Autosports, and Riley Motorsports, team names I'm familiar with. Um, Sean Creech Motorsport, uh, can you shed some light on the the team, Chris? I, I assume that you you're the one with the research here. 
Yeah, so they finished second in last year's Rolex. Um, so they're they ran a couple of IMSA races last year, did not compete the full season. Um, but take a look at the names they got for just being an unknown team. Dual Barbosa, multiple time Rolex twenty four winner, twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen IMSA champion. Uh, then you have Sebastian Prio, Andy Prio's son. 2021 Porsche Aquarius Cup North America champion and also raced uh, British GT with the Mustang GT4. And then they had picked up a guy called Mouth Jacobson, 2019 Danish Formula 4 champion, raced with RLRM Sport in the European Le Mans series last year. Then they had then Lance Wilsey, he's the old dude, he's like 60 years old, he's just the guy who funds the team. I, I'm interested to see Malte Jakobsen in that team because I RLRM Sport have been a really popular team in European Le Mans series for picking up these young drivers and giving them drives to basically show their stuff. And Jakobsen has been really, really exciting. But yeah, Barbosa, Prio, and uh, and Jakobsen, that's a pretty formidable lineup just off straight off the bat. Cookie, is it weird seeing a, a, a multiple Daytona 24-hour winner in a LMP3 car? Is that something that still is, is a bit uh, odd? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely, um, you know, what are you doing here vibes to it. But uh, no, I mean, you know, as as we keep seeing the maturity of this class and, and, and kind of where the, you know, um, the trajectory of kind of prototype racing is going, I mean, you know, this is... This is still very much of a, an, an AM-focused uh, category, and you know there are going to always require pro drivers to be in here. So yeah, I mean it's it's a little surprising to to see that, but um, you know at the same time it's it's another class, it's it's another trophy to win, and um, you know I, I think for some of these drivers, um, you know that part of that is. Yeah, is is part of the challenge too i mean you know maybe they've won it already but you know being able to coach you know driver coach mm-hmm. and being able to you know kind of being the team leader for some of this stuff and in in a more garageista setting is you know might be more uh, palatable for some of these guys so um no it doesn't really surprise me too much outside of just you know uh it's it's a surprising class to see him but you know the that action is not rare you know in sports car racing so yeah um, you move into a sort of driver coaching role, a driver, a, a sort of a mentor role in that sort of sense. Then, yep, and they pay pay pays decent money too. Uh, some of them, depending on your skills. Absolutely. Uh, number thirty six is the next car on the entry list, Andretti Autosport, uh, featuring Jarrett Andretti as the uh, as the the lead driver in that car. Um, he is a Silver Raider driver. He is the son of John Andretti, who is the nephew of Mario Andretti. Um, yep. So, uh, John Andretti, who unfortunately passed away, I believe, last year or two years ago due oh, to colon sad. cancer. Um, two-time NASCAR Cup Series winner. Um, John is. Uh, don't forget, Jarrett has a champion, or has a championship. He's a 2020 GT4 America Sprint X Silver Class champion. There you go. So... Uh, he also raced with his team last year. Josh Bergen, uh, he, he's usually, if you remember back uh, even last year, uh, whenever KCMG enters an endurance GT3 race, he's normally on the entry list for those cars. Not this year. Um, but he's he was usually with KCMG in the past. Uh, Rasmus Lynn, uh, he ran LMP3 last year with Performance Tech. He also did part-time at Indy Lights, and he's going to do a full-time Indy Lights championship this year. His main goal is IndyCar. And then you have Gabby Chavez, who's you know, used to race IndyCar, 
Uh, he's actually a 2020 TCR champion in Pilot Challenge. He ran the Rolex last year with 47, but did not finish the race. And the interesting thing about this car is that it doesn't have a bronze because Jarrett, Josh, and Gabby Chavez are under 30 years of age. They are able to be classified in that category as a silver driver, so all three of them, and so they don't actually have to run with a bronze driver, which is super duper interesting. Um, I am actually interested to see how Burton does, of course, as the the Australian enemy is very interested. Um, He does have the a uh, bit of infamy in my mind of being the fastest car in practice one of the Bathurst 12 hour in 2020 uh, and also being the first car written off at the Bathurst 12 hour in 2020 after he crashed uh, not two laps after setting that fastest lap uh, and wrote the car for the weekend. So hopefully he has a better run at, uh, at Daytona. Interesting that this car has three silvers, Cookie. Do you reckon that gives them a leg up over the rest of the competition where they've got, uh, who have bronze drivers that they have to fit their schedule around? Yeah, potentially, but, you know, silver and bronze sometimes really with these can be interchangeable with pace ultimately. And, and again, just the team mesh and, and how comfortable each driver is in the car. Um, I mean, you could even have a gold or silver driver really just be uncomfortable and not feel okay enough to potentially be competing under a bronze but again a a lot of this is just uh is going to be background and really yeah and how the pace of the team is you know next week so um yeah i mean they definitely could have a leg up with just having silvers and no bronze but um i i don't know that's it's just it's not a metric that i try to use anymore because ultimately it doesn't (laughs) It doesn't seem like it pans out all the time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that could, that, there, there could be absolutely an advantage with that. But um, I don't know. I, I don't see it as much anymore as I used to. Fair enough. Uh, two more cars on the, or three more cars on the entry list for Daytona. Performance Tech. Uh, no names I really recognize except for Garrett Grist in this machine. Uh, he will be with um, Hikaru Ave, Daniel Goldberg, and Nico Pino. Um, who seems to be from the Euro Formula Open Championship? Uh, any any read on any of those guys besides Garrett Grist? Uh, Dan Goldberg, he's the rich dude. Uh, Hikaru Abe is an interesting character because when trying to research him, the only thing that popped up was that he's 34 years old. He raced Formula Challenge Japan in 2008, and nothing since. But then I found more. And he uh, he actually raced uh Formula 4 in Japan last year. I think it parts the Masters category. So he's just kind of a guy who might kind of take a break from racing, I think, and kind of getting back into it. Uh, Nico Pino, he ran British F4 in 2020, and he ran LMP3 for Inter-Europol for the last two races of the European Lost Series Championship. So not a team that we're expecting huge things from then in that respect. Uh, two bronzes is going to make that difficult, Cookie. Even though you don't see driver ratings anymore, apparently. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I really include, I'm inclusive with my, uh, with my driver <laughs> talent. So that's, that's how I try to view this. But yeah, no, um, yeah, these guys are, these guys are going to have more of a shot than anybody else because they're bronze. But, <laughs> uh, no, Garrett Gris, he's, a, he's a solid former drag speed driver. So, um, yeah, otherwise, uh, I don't know too much more about the other drivers beyond a couple of those names. But, they're uh, they're yeah. going to be a really big unknown then, uh, considering 
you know, the fact that we haven't really been able to see any of those drivers in a recent sort of setting to get a good read on where they stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another team. Not going to put them up on the podium for them. So you are. Oh, you're not. No. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I should, but no, I'm not. <laughs> Mad lad. Um, another team running two bronzes, which we might consider to have a bit more of a shot, is Colorado Sports making their return to the championship. Of course, Colorado Sports is John Bennett, and he will be enlisting the help of Colin Brown, uh, Braun once again. Um, and they'll be joined with George Kurtz and Nick Johnson, uh, who I believe. Um, uh, is someone who used to drive with Tracy Crone. Is that correct? Is that the right Nick Johnson that I'm thinking of? Uh, both Swedish. I believe you're right. Um, 54-year-old guy. Yep, that's um, the one. Uh, yep. Tracy Crone's, uh, Tracy Crone's uh, uh, partner in crime, so to speak. Uh, Colin Braun and John Bennett, they, they're a, a pair that we're very familiar with um, uh, for the IMSA fraternity. Um, they almost actually took the prototype championship in 2017 right. um falling at the very last hurdle uh losing to i believe it was the action express team uh at petit lamar uh great to see them back on the uh, back in the field uh and great to see colin braun get another uh, braun get another chance it, it seems like he's uh, forever in purgatory with uh, finding a good drive. But if he can continue to do good things with Core Auto Sports, I, I'm, I'm very happy for him. Yeah, so he raced, Um, it, at least he had something to drive last year. He raced uh, GT World Challenge America in the Pro-Am class with DXDT. And that explains the uh, George Kurtz in the car, since George Kurtz also ran uh, with DXDT last year in the championship and George Kurtz is the uh, the CEO of CrowdStrike. So that's probably where, if you ever heard of CrowdStrike, I know they sponsored mm-hmm. the Formula One coverage in the United States. They're oh. on Mercedes F1 car. Um, and, they're, they're normal, and George Kurtz is normally at Thunderhill every year with a Radical. I don't know if he still does that anymore. But yeah, he's getting more and more into these top tier races. I know he was at Spa last year with SPS Automotive. So he's, he's, he's getting himself up there in the world of sports, of top-tier sports car racing. And Colorado Sports are like a, a, a favorite team of the IMSA paddock cookie. Um, they've had mixed results at Daytona. Um, what's your, if, if you can, what's your favorite Colorado Sports memory? Um, yeah, it was when they uh, impacted the wall with less than 30 minutes to go um, in LMPC. Um, on, while on and... fire. While on fire, somebody like they they crashed so hard that half the chat thought the car went airborne somehow. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah, I'll say that one. Um, or just any of the Flexbox liveries. Flexbox. Um, Classic. Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I, um, but uh, Colin Brown and uh, John Bennett are a classic duo. <laughs> um, they've been together forever. Um, and uh, honestly, they they have cut their teeth in this kind of stuff. Prototype challenge and uh, LMP three has kind of been their bread and butter, at least for what John Bennett's comfortable with and what he can be successful in. So, and Colin Brown is just ridiculously quick. So, um, yeah, love absolutely. Four. absolutely. I reckon you, you've hit the nail on the head there with John Bennett. He's a driver that has found the limit of his talent and is very, very well set there. I, I feel like if he if he tries to do LMP2 again, it might uh, be something that would be a bit 
to beyond his reach. And that's not to say like I I I know that sounds uh pretty like negative, but it's it's knowing his own limits and being able to effectively drive around them. Um, so while they did get very very close at the year that uh he did run in LMP two with uh Colin Brown uh Braun, it, it, you got to say that Braun basically dragged that car into a champion position off his own back entirely. <laughs> Yeah, and the strategy too. I mean, mm. like let's not let's uh, let's not forget too that his his father behind you know the pit box was uh, orchestrating a lot of that. Just um, <laughs> uh, just valet to get Bennett the time you know the time that he needed to behind the seat, but not costing uh, you know too much overall times that uh, Colin couldn't make it back up again. So I mean, they 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 play masterful strategy, and if it comes down to it with strategy, they'll they'll do a very good job in LMP three and. A little tidbit. Colin Braun is a NASCAR Camping World Truck Series winner. <laughs> there you go. A nice nice little tidbit to end off our discussion on Core Road Sport. The last car on the entry list for LMP3 and the last prototype car on the entry list is the number 74 Riley Motorsports Machine uh, featuring Gar Robertson, Felipe Fraga, Kay Van Berlo, and Michael Cooper. Now, I'm familiar with Felipe Fraga. Uh, he's been driving with Riley Motorsports and with Ben Keating mm-hmm. across a bunch of different series. Um, a very, very good uh, driver. Originally got his start in Stock Car Brazil, I believe. Gar Robinson yep. is someone I remember, I believe, with Faf Motorsport uh, as the silver driver there for a little while. And then Kay Van Berlo and Michael Cooper are two names I am not familiar with. Also, by the way, no bronze in this car. So uh, maybe another chance for them to maybe get a leg up on some of the other teams. But Chris, uh, you read on uh, Riley Motorsports, Van Berlo and Cooper, where do they rank in the realm of silvers? Oh uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Gar Robinson first. He okay. raced. He was the sole LMP3 champion last year in IMSA. Uh, he's also a multiple-time Trans Am two champion. That's where he that, that that's where he races full time in, and also obviously IMSA now. Uh, K Van Berlo, he's a very new driver. He finished second in last year's Porsche Career Cup North America Championship. So Michael Cooper, I would rate above Berlo because he's a multiple-time Pirelli World Cha- uh, Challenge champion in multiple classes, uh, GT4 America champion, and he's usually found racing in, in SRO America uh, and, all, and, may, and, and maybe Pilot Challenge when they have the uh, Camaros. Cool. So uh, quite a fair bit of experience then based in the U.S. for those guys. Uh, Cookie, where does this rate on Raleigh Motorsports' uh, like ranking of drivers? Do you think they've got the, the same sort of... Uh, power that they've had in the past or is that better for them or worse for them they didn't quite have the uh, the race that they were looking for last year um i believe they dnf'd last year but do you, do you think that they've got uh, the, the right stuff to put a better challenge together this year yeah um i mean philip fraga is no slouch and um and yeah i mean i'm not familiar a ton with some of the drivers that they've got in here but um i know michael cooper is is decent as well behind the wheel so yeah, they. It's a decent go at it. Uh, I don't like. I, I'm not blown away by anything on on their lineup, but um, a lot of times too, that's that's kind of the formula to win too, is just to have a <laughs> go under the radar a little bit with some of this stuff, um, including your own drivers, so that you don't have this, uh, um, you know, too high of expectations to go into the weekend. So yeah, I think they got they got they have a shot to do some damage in LP3. Not and- no pun intended with that either. I don't think they're going to crash. Everybody, <laughs> Bruh. And another interesting thing, um, Michael Cooper, when before Pearly World Challenge got 
fully engulfed by SRO America. He was the one racing the the Cadillac program that they had there. So Oh, yeah. That weird uh GTSV, was that the one? Yeah, the Cadillac GT sort of three. <laughs> the weird one. Uh so that's the nine car LMP three field. Um we were all pretty sold on the number thirteen when it came to the, to the Duquesnes. Of the Ligiers, uh, of the five Ligiers we've talked about, uh, which one do you guys think, we'll go with Cookie first to put him on the spot, uh, is the is the one to beat, the one to uh, put the best challenge together? Uh, 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 I'll say Core Autosport. Core Autosport, Bennett, Braun, Kurtz, and Jonsson? But I will also give a nod to the, to the Milner Motorsports as well. I think they've got, you know, just, just the fact that they've got two cars in their stable um and decent talent with them um yeah but i'm gonna go 54 54 fair enough uh chris for the for for the liges i think it's it's down to the 74 or the 36 so the Um, riley motorsports and the andretti autosports machines yeah and i see andretti they got some promising talent obviously you know um Jarrett Andretti, he's not too bad. Rasmus Rasmus Lin, upcoming Gabby Gabby Chavez, uh, he wasn't exactly bad, as what I remember. But I think I would have to lean towards the seventy four here. I think it's too strong to miss. Fair enough. I'm actually going to agree with you on the thirty six. I think that's going to be the the fastest of the Ligiers. But of the LMP3 class, I'm actually going to put my money on the number 13. I reckon the the AWA Duquesne is going to be the car to beat for the weekend. Any protestations? No. No? No. Uh, at the very it's, it's a gutsy call. It is a gutsy call. Um, at the very end, though, I, I hope that we don't see too many incidents uh, with, with this class. You know, the, the, proto- the old prototype challenge class, which the LMP3s have replaced, have uh, did have a oh. reputation at the very end of being mobile chicanes and i hope that this doesn't it, it's not a reputation that continues into the lmp3 machines uh so far well, we haven't I mean, seen it last last year flood if i'm gonna counterpoint i don't think lmp3 has caused a single caution at all last year during the rolex that wouldn't surprise me there were how many one two three four uh only only six of them on the entry, seven of them on the entry list, though, which is you know pretty close to what we've got now. But there was also only uh, you know less than fifty cars over the course of the the whole event, which I mean, like, is still not a small amount, but it is still uh, enough of a difference in terms of track density. I think. Agreed. Yeah, and I mean that could be an outlier too that uh, last year we didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, I don't know it's it's LP three uh, it's LPC uh, it, as we like to say so it's the, quite, the sparks will fly yeah it's it's quite a, quite an interesting little position for these classes to be in so the, that's the prototype cars guys of the three classes of course most eyes are going to be on the overall um, but what's the one the one car that you're going to be keeping an eye on even if you don't expect it to win uh, Chris what do you reckon the one car out of the prototypes that you want to keep an eye on. Uh, despite what the result might be? Uh, I th- I think I'm going to focus on the, uh, the Racing Team Netherlands car, because obviously seeing a European team do well, uh, I think that would maybe help some more European teams come over to IMSA uh, if they see another t- team of theirs uh, do very well. Uh, and I think more having 
more European IMSA team or European teams in IMSA. I think that's that. As long as it doesn't hurt the homegrown teams, the talent mm. we have here, I think it's a fantastic thing. Good point. Good point. What about you, Cookie? I'd say the number forty-eight. Uh, the the Ally Cadillac. Yep. Nice. That that is that is going to be a pretty stacked lineup, though. Are you sure you're just not after that for a result? No, I mean, I, it's more or less like uh, will they underperform? So okay. It's it's more like that that car should be in the top five at all times and. Um, last year it was it was the same kind of deal where I'm like, um, you know, it it has every right to be up there, but you know, the team's sort of slightly eh being new, and then also Jimmy Johnson in there, so they weren't performing as well. I'm definitely curious to see how the Jimmy Johnson year two experiment goes with uh, with that car. So cool. I, I'm going to be keeping my eyes on the number twenty, the high class racing car. I, I think all, I'm excited by every single driver in that lineup, and I, I hope they do well. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take a bit of a break here. Well, this is going to be the end of the episode for you listening at home. I hope you've enjoyed our preview of the Daytona 24 and the prototype categories. Well, join us for part two, uh, which will be released at some point in the very, very near future, taking your way through all the GTD machines, of which there are 35. And oh my gosh, it's going to be so, so good. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Stacked, yes, yeah, stacked indeed. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I've been Marcus Alvaro. Peace out. Gazoo. Okay, are we ready to go? Okay. Okay. I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Okay. Awesome. Oh, sorry, I just have to stretch. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. 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 Cookie, shut up. <laughs> Every fucking time. Uh... I'm sorry, you copy your ticket shit out of my up. Classic. <laughs> out of... Out of... <laughs> Hell, Chris. Hold on, I got my notes on my laptop. I'll be there soon. <laughs> Brilliant. Rip. Who's who cooks food during the middle of a podcast? Honestly. I I've done it before and I'm not gonna say which ones, but I feel like you would know just because like they were they were shitty. Guys, just stop derailing this podcast. And I mean, can we, can we talk really about the Daytona <laughs> for cars of Daytona for 2022? This is being... I mean, come on. I come, I come on this podcast all the time, and it's nothing but derailment from it's everyone only, else. And it's honestly... It's all right? Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, we've got that out of our system. Let's do it for real. Oh, are we doing another take? Or... Yeah, just like last time. <laughs>